Good evening, everybody, once again. Uh, welcome to the most recent installment of uh, Building the Scottish State. I have the great pleasure to have with me James Kelly, who is the uh, director of the uh, Scott Goes Pop uh, website, very highly regarded, has commissioned quite a bit of polling, uh, particularly recently over Scottish independence. And so we're here to talk about that and the broader independence movement uh, as we go forward. So uh, first of all, James, thanks for joining us this evening. No problem. Good to be here. Just tell us a little bit about you know your blog, what you've been doing. I was relatively unfamiliar with what you've been doing before because I, I looked on your blog and you started back in 2007 or 2008. Is that right? Yeah, it was 2008. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, uh, it was just a sort of amateur doing something for fun to begin with. And I just, uh, I think as the, um, I mean, to begin with, it was like a few dozen readers per day at most. And then, you know, it kind of took, took off around about 2013 because of obviously the independence referendum. And I was writing a lot about about opinion polls and and then it sort of suddenly took off and, you know, it was getting thousands of readers rather than dozens. So it was, it was a very sudden change after five years of just uh, talking to one man and a dog sort of thing. <laughs> okay. Tell me a little bit about how it's evolved. I mean, you say it started out very small. And I mean, have you always mostly focused on polling and support for independence? Or I mean, how has the, the site evolved over the, over the... I suppose I just sort of started out as uh, general political commentary. And it sort of I just sort of developed into talking about polls because I am... I've always been interested in polls and I suppose during the sort of long run up to the independence referendum I spent an awful lot of time looking at uh, the detailed results of polls trying to convince myself they weren't as bad as they appeared at first glance and I was sort of trying to see signs of hope and I suppose when you spend a lot of time <laughs> sort of thinking about that anyway you might as well write down your thoughts and so that's what I was kind of doing and it just sort of uh, went from there and also um, it seemed to me that the polls were not all always that bad you know that in the um around about 2013 there were a lot of panel-based polls that were reasonably good for yes mm -hmm. i mean they, they didn't have yes in the lead but they showed that yes weren't not were not that far behind but those were sort of tending to get ignored and the media were focusing on the the bad polls and sort of showing suggesting that meant that no was out of sight and it was just a foregone conclusion so I, it seemed to me what was missing was a poll of polls which is a common thing in the media but it wasn't being run at that time because I, I, I know nate silver did that in the united states mm. but, uh, yeah back in the day when i was growing up you know on the on the nine o'clock news on the bbc during election campaigns they would finish with a poll of polls to show you what was going on but there was nothing like that happening at the time so i i started my own poll of polls to try and put things in perspective and to show that when a single bad poll came out it wasn't necessarily that it was that bad. It was more, it, it was possible that it was just a kind of house effect of the, uh, of the individual company and that the, the average position maybe wasn't as bad as it appeared from the hysterical headlines in the unionist media. <laughs> no, exactly. That was, you may know I wrote, I wrote for Newsnet Scotland between yeah, yeah. 2012 and 2014. And so I was always just going through the news saying, oh, blow for Alex Salmon. Yeah. <laughs> dreams are sunk and all that. Yeah, no. yeah. 40, 40, 60, it's moving up, you know, so yeah. it's just, it's, it's just the, 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 you know, interesting the way it's, it's interpreted to, to say the least. And um, tell me a little bit about the techniques. Uh, as I understand it, I don't know whether, you know, with panel base that you've worked, whether others, how they work, but I've taught, I've heard that a lot of times they, they poll people that are, you know, that are regular contributors. And then oh, they, yeah. they may be more, and they be asked many questions. They may be asked about, I don't know, soap or, you know, bread, or I, I don't know, a lot of stuff. Whoever's sponsoring the poll or pays for it pays the company to include things about Scottish independence or what have you in the question so that they're kind of, you know, doing, uh, killing several birds with one stone. But again, they're usually the same group of people, you know, that are, I don't know if they get paid or what, you know, I don't know. Exactly yeah, they do. Yeah. But uh, tell, tell me about what you know about the, the polling techniques, particularly with the uh, panel base that you've worked. 
Well, most polls these days are conducted in the way you suggested, which is by an online panel, people who have put themselves forward to to be polled regularly. And so they're being polled again and again and again. So, I mean, when online polling started, the general consensus was that this wouldn't work because it sort of went against the general principle of polling, which is you get a new random sample each time. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're just polling the same people again and again and again, you're going to, there's going to be an effect from that because they're no longer a, a representative sample because you've changed them by polling them so often, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I, simply by asking them the question 10 times, they're going to have thought about it more than the average person. So it shouldn't work. Online polling should not work, but I suppose it's been found through trial and error that for whatever reason it does, it can produce relatively accurate results. And sometimes, I mean, at the time of the independence referendum, we still assumed that probably telephone polling was more reliable, was more accurate. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a sort of change of attitude around about two years later at the time of the Brexit referendum when online polling actually had a better record. So uh, if anything, the perception now is, well, either that online is superior or it's no longer as clear wh- whether online or telephone is superior, even though really online should be inferior to telephone polling. Mm-hmm. But how many people put themselves forward to do tele? And are people paid to give their opinion? I mean, when they put themselves forward, or for example, for telephone, are they are they paid somewhat, or how do, how does that work? I've only I've only been interviewed for a telephone poll once in my life, and I wasn't paid for it. People who put themselves forward for online polling do get paid a small amount, so it's typically fifty pence for every survey, or it might be a bit more than that if it's an extremely long survey. So they get a, a little bit of reward to make to give them an incentive to do it, but it's not, it's not huge. Yeah. I've watched a lot of, um, you know, kind of Noam Chomsky videos about manufacturing consent and the, and the uh-huh. way that, you know, the, the idea that if the, that from a cynical point of view, that po- public opinion polling is more about influencing public opinion than it, than it is actually reflecting it. And we can see that at least to some extent in the way that, of course, the way that the screaming headlines about how, you know, support is tanked or this or that. I live in France and, and polls are banned you know, within a certain period yeah. before the election, they have very strict rules on that, uh, you know, for, for that very purpose. But, I mean, you can't even think about doing that in the United States or, or, or the UK. Um, well, that was certainly what I was concerned about during, during the independence referendum, because I felt like it was sort of the sense that, well, it was kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. The unionist media were promoting these polls that were showing very bad results for yes. It was like a way of sucking the life out of the campaign, I felt, because, yes. you know, sucking all the excitement out. You know, it's, we all already know what this, why are we bothering with this? It's, it's that kind of thing. I really felt that was a sort of very dangerous thing. And yet, you know, in spite of that sense, the, the sort of the consensus, and I know there was a consensus among journalists that no was going to win you know, months, years before before the referendum. In spite of that, we still had the, the huge swing to yes, which is maybe... And, and, I, and I would argue they helped engineer that. If the BBC or others had had a completely different attitude on... Uh, and John Robertson, as you know, has done good, good work on yeah. this, that we got out in Newsnet and the way that the way that the news is presented, it, it, it may, you know, kind of quantitatively be balanced in terms of, good, you know, good or bad independent stories, but it's always the way it's presented, you know, the lead headline, you know, Scotland screwed. And then maybe they say, oh, well, maybe, maybe there's a little old lady that said something nice about it at the end of the show. I mean, yeah. that's kind of like a caricature, but you get the, you know, you get yeah. the idea. I mean, in my view, it wasn't, you know, from a press point of view, it was engineered that way. That, you know, that was a very deliberate effort to, you know, bring down enthusiasm, bring down the vote. To, to what extent do you see the media's role as being... Well, just to talk about the relationship between the polls and what you're talking about, 
the BBC at network level were not really paying that much attention. They were sort of going through the motions a bit until 10 days before the independence referendum when um, when the YouGov poll came out showing yes ahead for the first time. And then sort of all hell broke loose and it was like a sort of shock and awe campaign from the BBC for about a week. You know, the BBC's defenders will deny this, but I've spoken to people who are not particularly pro-independence who just said... It was so blatant for that week. It was so blatant. You know, you, it was it was almost laughable what the BBC were doing. So that YouGov poll, I suppose, in retrospect, worked against us because the network BBC weren't paying much attention to that point. And then suddenly they came in all guns blazing with a scare story after scare story after scare story. And the, and the vow. We can't forget the vow. <laughs> well, that came eventually. But that was that was the week after. But I mean, it definitely had an effect that week, that pummeling that the BBC gave us. It definitely had an effect, and you could see the swing back in the polls. It, we were in a good position, and then it sort of swung back again. Given that, and, and what do you see as the as the possibility? I mean, you know, I'm just kind of game theorizing here, but if we theorizing here, but if, if there is a, you know, if, if if the SNP do win a very overwhelming majority, and they say, okay, we're going to have a a referendum, you know, with or without. Boris Johnson's permission, it'll be legal because it'll be legislated upon by the Scottish Parliament. They can take us to court if they want. Do you see it being, being any different at, at, at this time around, or is it going to be even more intense? How do you, what are your predictions if you want to take out a crystal ball? I'm trying to work out what the BBC would do. I think um, they, they, there's got to be a bit of a sore spot for them that they, were, they came under so much criticism the last time. And can they be as bad as they were? I mean, they're not going to give us a fair crack of the web, that's for sure. But are, are they going to be as bad? Maybe not. Maybe not. And also, I think it's a slightly different situation. Of when Wait, absolutely. If, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. If yes, go in, in the leads. I think that makes it harder for them to be so cynical and relentlessly negative. I mean, it's hard when you're dealing with something which at the moment, maybe not by the end of the campaign, but at the moment is the majority view of the people of Scotland. Mm-hmm. It's hard to just be so dismissive and so cynical and so almost bitter about it there was a kind of degree of bitterness and i think in the uh, in the london part of the bbc just the idea of scottish independence how what is this you know it was that kind of attitude well, it, it, it demonstrated a complete uh, lack of understanding about Scots. And it was, uh, but I'm wondering, is it just because they, is it just because they want to preserve the union or they just don't understand Scots or probably a combination of both? I mean, I mean, the, and the way that they were always talking Scotland down, oh, you know, the oil's running out, the, you, know, you, you won't be able to use the pound, what, what money will you use? I mean, all these absurd threats or whatever, but and, and just almost nothing, I mean, nothing positive to say, because I don't think they do have that much positive case now for for uh, for maintaining the union do you think that they'll they'll even attempt to make a positive case one thing i was going to say actually just it just occurred to me it's, it's, i've thought about this before if i ever run a poll in the rest of the uk one question i'd like to ask people who live in the rest of the uk or in england is have you ever visited scotland because one one of the problems is i mean if you compare it to like quebec the quebec situation in canada i, I would imagine most canadians have been to Quebec because it's a central province. It's kind mm-hmm. of, we're, we're geographically mm-hmm. peripheral. And I, I, in terms of the lack of understanding of Scotland, I would imagine that an awful lot of people in England have never been here, never even been close to here. You know, I raised this point once and they said, well, we've all been to the, the Edinburgh Festival, James. Well, you know, sort of like middle class, right. 
So maybe maybe the second question was: have, have you ever been to the Have you ever been to Scotland that's not been part of it when it's not been the Edinburgh Festival? Because anybody who's been to the Edinburgh Festival knows that it's not particularly like Scotland when you're there. So it's I don't know how much understanding there is. I think we seem like a sort of far away peripheral place. It's um, you know, probably I'm sure far more people have been to to France or to Belgium or to the mm-hmm. Netherlands and have been to Scotland. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've had uh, sorry three four polls conducted over the past uh, year or so. Uh, uh, yeah, four. So they were crowdfunded and they were all with Panelbase, is that correct? No, the first three were with Panelbase. Uh, so the three last year were with Panelbase. So I contacted Panelbase again this year in the hope of, you know, the, the one I just run. I was hoping to do that with Panelbase again, but they, uh, for contractual reasons, they couldn't do it. Uh, they had, a, you know, they had an arrangement with somebody else. So um, I went with Servation instead, mm-hmm. which made me nervous because, I mean, th- there were a limited number of options. So once, once Panelbase were not possible there was a limited number of options but i wasn't i was worried about going with servation because they haven't been as good for yes as as panel based have been recently okay um so I, I was nervous about that and sure enough it you know it came back with a, a lower yes lead than the panel based polls have been showing so tell me about the results in each one uh in in, in the ones that you've seen and first of all they all measured in excess of 50 percent support for yes yeah um so i mean the, the idea last january was Obviously, the general election was in December 2019. And so, so I think most people would have naturally expected, you know, you get a general election which makes Brexit inevitable and you get an SNP landslide victory. Surely the logical thing to do, some, some newspaper, some broadcaster is going to run an opinion poll to see what effect this huge event, this huge election result is going to have had on public opinion and independence. But of course, the media don't care about that. So several weeks went past without a without any poll on independence. It seemed logical that uh, probably support for yes would have increased, but nobody knew. So eventually, uh, in discussion with others, I decided to crowdfund one and it came back. By the time I actually got it done, there actually had been other polls by then, but by the time uh, when it came out, it was 52% for yes, which was the the highest since uh, just after the EU referendum in 2016. So that uh, that was in January, obviously, as the pandemic was starting in China, but it hadn't reached these shores yet. And so, you know, the, I suppose the crisis really started in March. So I think most people would have assumed at that point that, uh, and certainly I assumed that this was the yes lead that had just been built up was now going to disappear because in times of crisis, people are not going to want, want to even entertain the thought of a major constitutional upheaval. And sure enough, the first, you know, the first couple of polls around about the time, around about the start of the pandemic did show that it had moved back the other way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, it was level or or no was in a slight lead. But then the uh, the Dominic Dominic Cummings episode happened when Dominic Cummings you know made his famous trip to Barnard Castle to test his eyesight. You know, somebody said to me, "Well, why don't you run a poll now just to see if this has changed anything?" So yeah, I did, and um, that was in like early June. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first poll that showed that the pandemic had pushed yes back into the lead so it was back to 52 percent exactly where it was in january but that was the first poll that showed that the pandemic was it 52 that it kind of went down a bit as as, as, you know as 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 the world was descending into this pandemic and then then once the whole dominique cummings things went in then it then it edged back and edged back up yeah yeah so that poll i ran in june that was the first of the of this sequence the first of the 20 in a row which which has shown yes in the lead uh so that was the one in in june and then i uh I ran one in, in, in November uh, yeah. as well. I mean, by that time in other polls, uh, the yes lead had crept up a bit. So in panel-based polls run by other people, uh, commissioned by other people, I should say, it had gone, crept up to like 54% and then to 55%. 
And then in the poll I ran in, I commissioned in November, it, it reached 56%, which was an all-time high with, with panel base. <laughs> yeah, so that was good. Um, and around about the same time, other polls, you know, there was a Savannah Comres poll that had yes on 58%, Ipsos Mori had yes on 58% and then on 56%. So there was some very, very unprecedented high numbers uh, for yes at that stage. And then, well... And the new year, obviously, at the end of the Brexit transition period, so that seemed a logical time to run another one. So I commissioned the one from Servation. But yeah, it's not directly comparable with the previous polls because it's a different company. And this one showed 51, yes, 49, no. Okay. Which, you know, was, uh, was only a touchdown in the previous comparable poll, which obviously was a Servation poll. So it was only a 1% decrease. So. Uh, Right. You know, it's, it's hard to compare with the, with the ones last year. Exactly. And, and, and from what you understand, is there a different method? Are there differences in methodology between the, what is it, what you said, uh, servation and panel base? Do you, from what you understand, are there different um, methodologies employed? Uh, well, well, nothing, nothing sort of fundamental. You know, they're all uh, comrade servation uh, panel base. They all use volunteer online panels. But I mean, there has been there has been a difference because I think, you know, like two years ago, if you'd asked me, I would have said Servation are better for yes than panel base. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, panel base was consistently showing really poor results for yes and Servation were a little bit better. Uh, I think the change happened after the 2019 election because all pollsters would have updated their methodology, their weighting to take into account the result of the 2019 election. And for some reason... That swung things around, and now panel base are a bit more favourable for yes and servation are, but it's not entirely clear why. I'm not. I'm not actually sure why that's the case, but it's just it's just obvious that consistently the panel base average for yes over the last year has been like two percent higher or something like that than servation. And what other questions do you ask besides uh, besides the um, uh, just you know support for independence? Have you done more? I mean, have you you asked other questions as well? Yeah. So with each poll, I've asked five, six, seven, eight supplementary questions as well. So obviously last January, just after the first phase of Brexit, so I was, you know, I was trying to find out if, if Brexit had, uh, well, public reaction to Brexit, whether they thought, whether people thought that made the case for an independence referendum because we'd take, been taken out of the EU against our will and, you know, whether it's increased support for independence, so that kind of thing. Each time I've run the poll, I've added a question about plan B to see if um, we could demonstrate public support for the various plan B options. And because obviously the SNP leadership are extremely cautious about anything like that. And, you know, if, if you could get a positive poll result, you know, it may ho hopefully puts a little bit of pressure on them or makes them less nervous about maybe perhaps even doing what they would like to do, but they're just too scared to do. I don't, I don't really know what they, uh, what their own instincts are, but for, for whatever reason, they're very reluctant to go down that road. So the one, the one in January showed uh, support for the plan B option of, well, what they're talking about now, what Mike Russell is talking about now of legislating for a referendum without a section 30 order, and then just sitting back and saying, well, you, if the UK government wants to challenge it, okay. So the, the poll in June, I then moved to the other, the other plan B option, which is the one talked about by, uh, you know, Angus McNeil. Uh, which is to use a, an election to double as a referendum so that so that there's no question of legal challenge because nobody can do anything about that. And well, I've, I should first of all say that the one in January produced a positive result for the for the 
legislating for a referendum idea. And the one in June also produced a positive result for using an election to double as a referendum. And is it basically the same percentage as support for independence? I mean, is, it, is there any disparity between, you know, the, the support for a plan B and just support for independence? been different numbers each time but um i i think from memory it, it's the plan the support for plan b has tended to be greater than the support for independence i, th I think that's been the case and when you read these polls you know, the, you, that you've been reading for more than a decade now what, what do you understand about the scots psyche in terms of independence i mean for me i mean i remember visiting scotland in the early 90s or even before and staying you know stay, spending time with my uncle and aunt and govern and you know politics was just such a horrible thing you know it was and then you know they just didn't want to talk about it you know all, you know they just see these bastards in westminster braying and just being awful and they, it's just like they didn't want to know about it and it was the same when i came in the early 90s you know people would just you know the only time they would talk about politics is after a few whiskeys raging about how they're taking our oil and stuff <laughs> certainly you know since then it's been a big sea change and obviously people are speaking more about it but it kind of, in, in my view, the way I, you know, it was always the kind of the Margot McDonald, too wee, too poor, too stupid kind of thing. And the, the way that the Scots were perceived and they, you know, they felt that cringe. And I kind of, when I first got interested in 2011 in the referendum, I felt like, oh, it's a no brainer. Of course you want to be independent. I mean, why would you want to stick around with Westminster? I mean, it's, it's just absurd. And, and then I start writing for Newsnet and stuff like, wow, people really are resistant to it. And I just, I just didn't understand it. And I understand better now, but I was wondering just in, in the polls, what you see. I lost you a little bit at the end there. Could you oh, sorry. the panel? I was, I was just wondering, I, I was describing how I'd seen the evolution of Scott's thinking towards independence. Uh -huh. And then, as I said, when I started, you know, getting involved in 2011, writing for Newsnet, et cetera, I couldn't understand why Scots would not embrace independence. Like, of course, uh -huh. get away from Westminster, you get your, you get your oil revenues, you know, you know, I mean, you can do, you can do what you want. And I didn't, I, I just didn't understand why everybody wasn't voting for independence. And then, you know, I came here, I spent more time here and I learned more about kind of the Scots psyche. But what do you see? Is, you know, what do you see as, is it just fear? Is it the scare stories? I know it's kind of a vague question, but what do you see in, in the polling that you've, you've, you've commissioned and you observed, what does that reflect about the Scots psyche in your view? Well, I don't think there's much doubt that fear won the, the referendum for the no campaign. I don't think they would have won without without the scare stories. I think what's interesting is what has changed the situation. Why have we got the sustained Jess lead? And I think the explanation really is for the first time since like maybe the Jacobite uprising of 1745, Scotland during the pandemic has kind of been a self-governing country on the things that matter it's been Nicola Sturgeon in charge and people have noticed that Nicola Sturgeon is in charge and people think she's doing it well. And they look at what Boris Johnson is like in London and they're making the comparison and they're seeing for the first time it's twigged. An independent Scotland would probably be better governed than the United Kingdom currently is. And I think that's what's changed. And I don't think that's occurred to people before because I don't think... People have looked at Scotland and said, I could really visualise what Scotland would be like as a self-governing country. And now we're actually living it. We're not completely independent, but on the things that matter, Nicola Sturgeon is in charge and people are watching that and they can see what it's like. Uh, maybe get a few, a few of the questions. Um, let's see. Uh, Jock Gibson, what does Scott Goes Pop think of pop-up parties? Referring to the, the IF Independence yeah. for Scotland Party and these other ones that, and, and first of all, uh, do you know the status of those? Are there going to be at least list parties, uh, you know, that are that are other than the SNP and the Greens? I think that there's some are registered, but I was just wondering if you knew 
anything about their their actual status where they can run. I saw George Galloway tried to register some party, but he didn't do the paperwork right. Yeah, so the, the name was rejected or something. I think I haven't really been following it in great detail. I, I remember reading that I think IFS has been has been successfully registered, and I remember them them making the point that their main rival, you know, the Judean People's Front of the People's Front of Judea had not successfully registered, and so it was a bit pointless for the the other party to try and get IFS to stand down because only the IFS had successfully registered. And so they were saying, why don't you stand down in favor of us? Because we're the ones that have been registered. So I, I don't know what the status of all of them is, but I'm sure there will be fringe parties. Well, my view of independence for Scotland, the party is that I'm sure it's well-meaning, but I think they're going to get a derisory number of votes. So either it will have no effect at all, or it will take votes away from other parties that could win seats, other pro-independence parties that could win seats, and it might have a sort of mildly negative effect. Probably not going to change that much because it's probably talking about a relatively small number of votes. The only exception to that would be Palak Salmond is still thinking of setting up a, a party. He might be timed out. He might not have enough time to get the registration through. So I suppose theoretically he might join one that already exists either take it over or become a sort of symbolic figurehead. And then obviously the situation would change. And if that was IFS that was in that situation, then suddenly it would become a credible party. But I don't see that happening before the election, that's for sure. But uh, uh, do you think that the new pop-up parties who are in the running for Hollywood have have left it too late to complete with, compete with the SNP? Do you know if there's, have, have there actually been polls conducted that, that would ask, like, would you vote for, on, on the list of seats, would you vote for? Um... No. Okay. No, they haven't. They haven't added IFS as an option in any of the polls, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> okay, um, Anna McConnell. Uh, how many people are involved in each poll, and does volume make much difference? Uh, so typically a thousand. Uh, sometimes it might be two thousand. So obviously, the more the more people, the the more accurate it's likely to be. But I think the feeling is once you get to a thousand that's reliable and it's not going to improve dramatically if you go higher than that so a thousand is enough i'll take this one bob matheson i believe that the digital covenant is the simplest most direct route to independence i don't know if you've heard of that but i've actually was involved in developing this and it was it was um basically it's a digital covenant that where you sign it, it you're registered on the blockchain it could it could accurately measure support for independence if there were to be 2.2 million plus signatures and uh -huh. the, the, the site is very well constructed extremely well done we worked very hard on it but we we and we asked for basically we sent a letter to the scottish parliament you know saying look you know this is a a verifiable measurable way to uh, to measure public opinion here you can use it you know you can use it to measure support for independence but the scottish government wanted nothing to do with it they only wanted you know a re referendum route and under the logic which i guess is understandable is that you know, they, they want re international recognition. Yeah. If they were to say, oh, yeah, we got this covenant, and, you know, the French would say, what? what, what is, you know, I mean, you know, you know the, the people wouldn't, wouldn't recognize it, even though it is a very valid way of measuring it. And even if it's not very likely not going to be accepted as the means for independence, but at the same time, we're building a blockchain infrastructure, which can be used for voting, for measuring public opinion uh, after. So, you know, I hope at the very least it serves as that. Uh, let me just finish it up this because it's my, up my lane. Let's see. Uh, do you think signing and, and putting people off as it seems not to work very well in my own experiences? It's a very rigorous process. You, I mean, we want it to be completely verifiable. So you had to, you know, you had to have a clear picture of both. And so, you know, maybe there were some problems in that regard. Bob, I agree with you. Uh, all, although we've gotten, you know, a fair amount of support from people who think it is a valid reason. Um, we, we did not get the input of the Scottish government and they 
have their own, uh, you know, their mentality of how they want to take care of it, how they want to achieve independence. And so, okay. And how do you see the, the future of voting? And, and do you think that... I don't know anything about blockchain. Okay. But I would imagine, I, I, I do imagine that electronic voting is the future. I would imagine, uh, you know, in, in years to come, there'll be a sort of window of opportunity to just casually go online and, and, and cast your vote. And I would imagine at that point also you could make voting compulsory because at that point it's just not that inconvenient to do it. So why wouldn't you just make it compulsory? So Just as easy as possible. I mean, because the, the way I see it, I, I, this is based especially on my experience in the United States and following it very carefully because that's, that's what I teach. But the way that they make it so difficult to vote, you know, over oh, yeah. the last 10 years, uh, you've had the, a group called ALEC, American Legislative Exchange Council, which is a massive lobbying, basically a massive lobbying group that is able to write the laws in different states. And especially in Republican-run states, they've made it much more difficult to, 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 to vote, to register. They purge the lists. They, I mean, all these challenges that you heard about over the last few weeks in the presidential election, I mean, in my view, just, give everybody, just, just register everybody for life uh, and and be done with it. You know why should people have to re-register each time before they vote? But basically, what blockchain is is it's 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 a digital ledger. So you make a uh, and, and and it's and it's unhackable. So it's it's secret in the same way that voting is you know paper voting is secret. Uh -huh. But but it can but it's electronic and and so you record something in the ledger in the digital ledger, and then it can't be because of the very one block cannot be hacked without all of the other blocks being hacked as well and everybody knowing about it. So it's basically foolproof in terms of, you know, uh, measuring and recording information. And so, the, you know, if, if this had been embraced by the Scottish government, people could have just signed their signature is, uh, you know, is, is recorded in perpetuity. And also you can check to make sure that your vote or your signature was properly counted. You can be absolutely sure that your identity is, solid and so you can have you know it can be a platform sort of self-sovereign identity which allows for, for more digital privacy i hope that scott the scottish government does embrace this for the future and that there is electronic voting and as you say it I mean, it doesn't even have to be compulsory just easy just you know get on your yeah, phone yeah that's true yeah well i mean i'm i'm an american citizen so i i vote in u.s elections and the thing that what makes it completely alien experience from this country is the sheer number of votes you have to cast. So that's why there's so much queuing, I, I would imagine, because it must take a people about an hour to just, just complete the form. It's uh, like you have to cast yeah, about yeah. 30 votes. Uh, which state do you vote in? Vermont. Vermont, okay, yeah, because I, I I did vote in Maryland when I did, but my mom moved away and I didn't bother to register, I don't know. But yeah, I remember getting the ballots back, you know, back uh, for for Obama and all those. It's like four or five pages. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. And then, you know, you know, it's not only the president, it's the president, Maybe the senator, definitely the representative. It might be the city council. It might be yeah. the dog catcher. Yeah. It might be several ballot initiatives. I mean, it's just absurd. Yeah. You know, here in France, you just go and you take a piece of paper, put it in an envelope for a party or for a candidate. And, and of course, you have you know uh, presidential elections, two two rounds, legislative elections, two rounds. Uh, ele uh, you know, and you're only voting for one office. Yeah. Rather than you know, because even the most informed voter. In the United States, and you read all up the candidates, you get the League of Women Voters stuff and all that. It, it's almost impossible to be well informed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. These candidates anyway. How long did you live in the United States? Or I've never lived there. What do you think are the things that could drive the uh, support for independence even further? I mean, how do you see this going forward? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Hopefully, there'll be an election, uh, you know, on the, in, in May for the Scottish uh, the Scottish election. 
you have, um, you know, Boris Johnson saying no, 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 but then you also, you know, but you see independence rising. It probably rose a few points today with him coming here. You might, he might completely refuse. And then you might have the other parties boycotting it, which could underline the legitimacy. How do you see it? Because uh, I've, I've interviewed Ian Blackford and others, Pete Wisher, who just say, oh, no, it'll be okay. You know, I mean, just, uh, you know, we just need to build support for independence and it'll happen. And that the increased polling would have an effect on Boris Johnson to eventually cede. But but then I talked to um, Angus McNeil. He said, you know, Boris Johnson's never going to allow it. Just forget it. You know, so how do you see it? I mean, well, I suppose I'm somewhere in between the two in the sense that I don't think it's completely impossible that uh, the Tories might eventually grant a Section 30 order. I think it's unlikely, but I don't think it's completely impossible. You could maybe see a reason, a tactical reason in the end why they might do it. But I think Angus McNeil is closer to the truth and it's obviously not the case, as Pete Wishart says. It's obviously not true to say that rising support for independence makes it more likely that Boris Johnson will grant a Section 30 order. Self-evidently, the higher the support for independence gets, the less likely it is that Boris Johnson is going to grant a Section 30 order because he's more likely to lose the referendum. The reason David Cameron granted a Section 30 order was because he thought he knew it was safe to do so. Mm -hmm. So the higher the support for independence gets, the more likely delaying tactics or just flat refusals Pete Wisher is wrong. There is not going to be a point where it becomes unsustainable for uh, Boris Johnson to, to refuse Section 30 order. We are going to have to take radical action, probably, to, to make something happen. I'm a Labour no voter and open to voting for independence next time. What can the Yes movement do to attract more soft no's like myself? So very positive. Thank, thank you, D-A-R. Uh, appreciate it. Um, what, do, what do you think? And g- given the polling that you've seen, as we've seen, a lot of people are reluctant. They've accepted the scare stories. They can't use the pound. They can't, you know, they, they won't be able to do this. They won't be able to do that. However, since 2014, and especially since 2016, they, you know, they've, they've, Scotland has seen um, them coming out, re- being removed. What are, what are some of the other fears that you perceive that could be, what could, what could the SNP advance to reassure soft no voters into voting yes? There are, I mean, there are so many fears that people have some of them are people worry about losing their favorite television programs and you know i think a lot of these irrational but because people don't haven't been to the republic of ireland perhaps to see to see what what an, an independent country that used to be part of the, the uk looks like you know it's it's just i think it's just reassurance i remember when i when i became converted to independence Actually, I was I can remember when it happened. It was, I was watching a sort of phone-in program with Alex Salmond in the 1990s during a general election campaign. And it was just one of those programs where he got lots of time to speak and he just developed the ideas and it just sort of, yeah, so he just sort of set out what, what an independent Scotland would look like. And he it, it, it wasn't being constantly interrupted. And he just had lots of time to develop each point. And he was saying, well, I mean, an independent Scotland is not, if you don't like the SNP, an independent Scotland is not going to just be run by the SNP automatically. We are actually going to have democratic elections. And if you want a, if you want a Labour government, if you want John Smith to be Prime Minister of Scotland, you can have that. He was he was answering questions about Shetland and uh, he just he just sort of went through everything and it, uh, so it was like one by one my sort of objections ran out so I mean I think he just I think it's just a sort of process of reassurance um, 
And I think a lot of the scare stories are not going to have as much punch this time, obviously, because because of the EU situation and, um, you know, an independent Scotland. I mean, probably what the argument will be is that uh, an independent Scotland will not get back into the EU. So it, I, I think a lot of it, I think a lot of people, a lot of it will hinge on whether people believe that. It's not true. An independent Scotland would get back into the EU because there's such an obvious incentive for the EU to allow us back. But the no campaign, if there is a no campaign, will try well they will they will put a lot of emphasis on but you don't know that scotland will get back into the eu and so if people believe that we might have a problem but if they're confident we'll get back into the eu then it's 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 easier to argue that scotland might have a brighter economic future as an independent country because we'd have access to the eu single market oh absolutely and, and i've i've been thinking about this for you know quite, quite several years now and in my view you know i know that you know Michel, uh, sorry, that uh, Sturgeon has met with Michel Barnier and, um, uh, and Juncker back, back in the day. And I know that they still have communication with him. I know Alan Smith was, a, was in, you know, when he was in the EU Parliament, was in very good standing. He's made his, he made his beautiful, you know, do not let Scotland down things. And so th there's no question there's a lot of goodwill. And, I, I, and, and I'm just wondering at this point, you know, just very, you know, post real Brexit, if at, at some point Scottish government says we're going to have a referendum, and then the EU says, and we we will recognize that, and you can come join us if you do. Well, I think I think the EU could certainly make positive noises. I don't think they could make a sort of firm commitment that Scotland could come back in. But I think they're probably, you know, they're certainly not going to be as negative as they were last time when uh, Barroso went on the Andrew Marr show and and said, you know, Scotland won't get back in, and it was it was obviously uh, hand in glove with Cameron on that. So they don't have any incentive to help the UK government this time. So we might we might see a few positive noises that it's probably not going to be that difficult for Scotland to get in. I don't think they'll make a firm commitment, no. Donald Somerville, do you think the difficulty in converting no voters is that indie voters are perceived as too left-wing? My own view is that Scotland is definitely left of centre. It just seems to me as if it's, it's, it's a left of centre country in, in terms of their sense of social justice and, and, uh, and, and solidarity. I, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I always think what would happen if there was a pro-independence party that was right wing could it sort of attract the votes that uh, the SNP can't attract or that the Greens can't attract but for some reason there does seem to be this tremendous overlap in Scotland between being right wing or right of centre and being sort of committed to the British states it's sort of like there's a huge overlap into the the percentage of right wing voters who are even open to independence is probably quite limited but I'm sure they are put off by to the extent they do exist i'm sure they are put off by uh the smp being relatively left-wing but um arguably we attract more votes that way than we lose in the other direction in the scottish context what is right wing compared to left wing and and just, uh, just help help um, enlighten me on that oh that's a complicated question um well i, I am trying to, uh in terms of specific policies yeah, generally. I mean, you know, for example, in the United States, you know, you people, conservatives are defined as people that through a lot of propaganda over the years of people who believe this, who believe in free market economics, who believe in, uh, you know, uh, anti-abortion, who are religious, who are religious right wing, who are believe in the Second Amendment, whereas the left wing, such as it exists, I mean, it does, there isn't a really a left in power right now. I mean, the, both parties are very corporate. But um, so... I guess it's a kind of a vague question, but I mean, if you if you meet someone who's conservative, you know, in Scotland, what are they kind of typically like as opposed to someone who's more left wing? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, 
everything's become sort of bound up with the, with the constitutional debate. Is if you if you meet somebody who's right wing, they're probably going to be moaning about Nicola Sturgeon and uh, and complaining about independence and saying how referendums are so boring. And I mean that that's this, that's sort of the conversation you would have, you know, the the, the equivalent of uh, meeting a Republican gun nut in America and they'd be going on about um, guns or about election fraud or um, or whatever. Um, every, everything in Scotland is bound up with the constitution at the moment. I'm trying to think how it used to be. I mean. I suppose when I was growing up, I barely even met a conservative. You know, it's, it's like it was like universally, if if there were any conservatives, they they didn't admit to 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 being conservatives. It was like almost uniformly, people were left of centre, expressing anti Thatcher views or anti John Major views later on. Is conservatism is it is it is it ideological? From what I understand, back in the same in the you know well business entrepreneurialism. Uh, but also a certain sense of ethics and decency, which is kind of out the window now. Whereas, you know, since certainly since the 80s, all of the think tanks have cooked up this, you know, free market. Being a conservative is, you know, almost you, you have to, it's, it's like a religion. You have to believe in quote unquote free market, market economics in order to be uh, considered a conservative. Do you perceive Scottish conservatism as being at all ideological or is it just kind of in opposition to independence in the constitution? Yeah, I, th- I think um, sort of back in the day, um, 50s, 60s, 70s, Scottish conservatism was fairly moderate, kind of centrist. Um, some like George Younger, you know, who was in Mrs. Thatcher's cabinet, but, you know, he was a moderating influence. You had to, for Mrs. Thatcher's Secretary of State for Scotland, it had to be a moderate. So there was George Younger, there was Malcolm Rifkin, they were both on the left of the Conservative Party, they were both, um, Malcolm Rifkin even had a history of being pro-devolution, although he had to sort of scrap that, but they were, they were both on the sort of left of the Conservative Party. So even in the 80s, uh, the Thatcherism was being tempered by a sort of slightly more centrist was, Scottish was, office. Was Michael Heseltine, I know he was English, but the, you know, at least seeing him more recently, he seems more kind of moderate and not as intolerant. I mean, is that the kind of mindset that you perceive of, of Michael Heseltine? Yeah, I, I suppose, you know, uh, Michael Heseltine was in Mrs. Thatcher's cabinet as well. And so, that, you know, along with George Younger and Peter Walker and uh, Malcolm Rifkin, these these people were the moderate. She, she actually, amazingly, Mrs. Thatcher did have an awful lot of moderates in her cabinet. So there was always that sort of tension. But in Scotland, actually, in policy terms, there was a bit of a kind of shielding from Thatcherism with the one obvious exception of the poll tax, which went in the opposite direction. That was actually introduced in Scotland ahead of, of the rest of the UK. And obviously that was... A kind of pivotal moment which turned Scotland decisively against the Conservatives and they lost half their seats in 1987. And what I was going to go on to say was that um, at the start of devolution, by which time the Conservatives had been wiped out, the Scottish Conservatives had been wiped out in Westminster, they, they, obviously, they obviously thought about this and they, they kind of went back to a kind of moderate stance. You know, David McCletchy, Annabel Goldie, David McCletchy was doing almost some, some left-wing things like um, free personal care for the elderly, which wouldn't have gone through if it hadn't been for the Conservatives, the SNP and the Liberal Democrats supporting it and Labour were opposed to it. So almost at that point, it was like the Conservatives were outflanking Labour from the left. But and I suppose people became more sort of less hostile to the Conservatives during that period. The hostility to the Conservatives went, but they weren't getting more votes. They were still sort of languishing a bit. And so along comes Ruth Davidson, and then she takes this completely different approach, drops the moderate language and becomes just one issue. We're against an independence referendum. The SNP are obsessed with independence referendums. And that has worked for them. 
But I think it's probably worked for them at a cost because if they're because they have this core support which is really hyped up by that sort of rhetoric. But then that's fine if you're only trying to get 25% of the vote in an election. But to win a referendum, you need a lot more than 25% of the vote. And if the Conservatives are the face of the no campaign and the other 75% of the population hate them, and it's not an exaggeration to say the other 75% of the population hate them because they do. You can see that in polling evidence. The Conservatives are extraordinarily unpopular with the vast majority of the population. If a Conservative is at the as the figurehead of the no campaign, that's a problem for them. They, they'd be much better off with a kind of cuddly, fluffy, sort of Charles Kennedy type figure if such a person exists anymore. I don't know what polling you may have seen on it, but in terms of labor uh, support for independence, because what is it in the current projections, it's roughly that the conservatives will have about 25% and labor around maybe 17%. And from what you've seen, are most the remaining labor voters still particularly unionist or are there a good few labor supporters that, you know, maybe pro-independence? I think this is one of the differences actually between panel-based and surveyation, but the sort of panel-based polls that I commissioned and other people commissioned last year, there were an awful lot of labor voters in, in, that, in those polls who were pro-independence. And that was probably one of the reasons why panel-based were showing better results in surveyation. In the surveyation poll I just commissioned, I think it was about 25% of labor voters were... Uh, we're pro-independence, which is lower than we've seen in the panel base. So um, there's a bit of a conflict between the different polling companies about that. Um, I think that'll be good for this evening. Is there anything you'd like to add before we say goodbye to our audience? No, can't think of anything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much for watching. And uh, I shall be back next week with another guest.